Hi everyone, this is Randy, one of your favorite hosts from Stones, Bones, and Shadows podcast. I am popping in today to share some exciting news that we are getting ready to launch our Patreon. If you want monthly bonus episodes, member Q&As, our own Taphophile book club discussions, and yes, even the occasional pet photo, let's just say we will have you buried in extra content, pun intended. Make sure to find us on Facebook, Instagram, and our website, Stones, Bones, and Shadows podcast. Podcast.com for more details as we approach the month of April for how to join in on all of the action. Hope to connect with all of you soon. It's been a little bit since we've had an interview with a taphophile, and today's interview will not disappoint. I was able to sit down with the cemetery tour guide for the Hollywood Forever Cemetery, Carrie Bible. What Lies Beneath, we discuss the lives and burials of the famous people there and what it's like being a tour guide in a cemetery full of stars. Carrie also has her own show called Hollywood Kitchen. We dish about all this and more right now on Stones, Bones, and Shadows. to have us taphophile and cemetery tour guide carrie bible hi carrie hi how are you i'm so good thank you so much for being on the podcast today no problem my pleasure i'm so excited to hear more about hollywood forever and get into some of the details and get to know you a little better too so Give us a little bit of info about you and what your background is. Uh, I was originally born in Fort Worth, Texas, and then by the time I was in college, my parents moved to Georgia. And my mom and dad are very into the Civil War, so a lot of our vacations were going to Civil War battlefields and cemeteries <laughs> and and uh, homes and things like that. And, you know, it's one thing to learn about history in a classroom, but when you stand on the soil where those events happened, and especially if you have a, a big imagination like me, you know, it just kind of is brought to life. And I thought history was just fascinating. And then as a little girl, I fell in love with classic Hollywood. My gateway drug was the universal horror <laughs> films of the 1930s. So no Barbie yes. dolls for me. I liked Bella Lugosi and Boris Karloff. <laughs> I, love um, I never lost my love for them. I fell in love with old Hollywood. I got a degree in film. I studied film production, but also film history. And I graduated and moved out to Los Angeles in the year 2000. And um, I saw Hollywood Forever at the time. I fell completely in love with it, as I hope everybody does who visits, and realized they didn't have a tour guide. And I thought, well, maybe that could be me. So I met with the owner of the cemetery. I met with a historian who mentors me. And 
I've now been giving tours here, there, uh, several times a month since uh, February of 2002. Oh, wow. So 20 years this month. Yeah, most most of my adult life at this point, yes. <laughs> Happy anniversary! Thank you, thank you. <laughs> so when did you know that you loved cemeteries? Do you love all cemeteries or just Hollywood forever? <laughs> no, I, I love all cemeteries. Well, when I was a little girl, we lived around the corner from the cemetery. It's called Blue Bonnet Hills in Texas. Oh, and my that. brother and I used to ride our bikes there. Uh-huh. And that's how we learned to ride bikes. And being around a cemetery, you know, as some people I meet, they think it's creepy or weird or sad. I never saw it that way. I saw it as just a normal, everyday thing. Because if you grow up around the corner from one, it's not unusual. It's just, it's an everyday part of your life. Right. You know? I grew up going as well. And yeah, it doesn't feel scary or creepy or any of that to me. And my mom used to take my brother and I, I remember one time she took us and we did grave rubbings when I was a kid. And... I, at one point, took my Cabbage Patch doll, put it in a wooden box, and made my cousins file past it and play funerals. So, I think I've always, it's true, I think I've kind of always had a bit of a morbid streak. But I'm also interested in, I love learning about history. I love learning about cultures. I'm very interested in architecture. I love traveling. So, anytime I get to travel anywhere, I try to make cemeteries, like, a part, a built-in part of that oh, trip. Oh, me too, um, friend. Over the Christmas holiday, <laughs> just now, I went to uh, Massachusetts, where two of my close friends live, and I went to the Charter Street Cemetery in Salem, Massachusetts. Oh. And then I went to the cemetery where Lizzie Borden and her family okay. are buried. So I did several cemeteries just over the holidays. And I even take my nine-year-old nephew now to cemeteries every time I'm home, too. He knows that's a part of hanging with Aunt Carrie. Well, I feel the same way, and I feel like people that love the outdoors, love history, love architecture, all of those things really end up, you know, loving cemeteries too. Yeah, and it doesn't have to be filled with famous people. Like, I'm happy to walk through ones that have none of that. I just, I just find that every single headstone, there's a story there, and uh, that's very interesting to me. That's where the podcast began, right there. That's exactly why I'm doing what I'm doing, is finding the stories. And some weeks, it's about someone that no one outside of their town, you know, has probably heard of. And I love their stories just as much. Oh, yeah. So, can you give us some history about Hollywood Forever Cemetery? Well, Hollywood Forever was originally called Hollywood Memorial Park. And it was founded in 1899. But of course, Hollywood was a lot different in 1899 than it is today. So the first burial didn't even happen until 1901. And it was a blacksmith's wife. Her name was Highland Price, which Highland Avenue in Hollywood, I believe, is named after her. In any case, the cemetery was about 120 acres of land, but there just wasn't a need for a cemetery of that size and scale at that time. But there was a huge increasing demand as the silent as the film industry came from the East Coast to the West Coast 
they needed studio space. So in the teens and in 1920, two different film companies leased sections of land at the back of the cemetery, which was to all become RKO and Paramount Pictures. I noticed that it was right over the wall. Yeah, so bringing the cemetery from about 120 to, I think, about 62 or so, which is what it is today. And the cemetery was taken over by a man, Jules Roth, in about 1951. He had done time in prison for white-collar crimes. He ran the cemetery from 1951 until his death in 98. And he did a lot to destroy oh. it. There, um, he embezzled money. There was a lot of vandalism. There was just a lot of terrible stuff on his watch. And when he died in 98, the whole property was in bankruptcy and on the brink of being taken over by the state. When our current owner, Tyler Cassidy, and his partners took it over and they bought it for a low price at that time, they've spent millions on it. And it's probably one of the most vibrant, artistic, and unique cemeteries in the country. We have movie screenings, indoor concerts, outdoor concerts. We've had all sorts of events. We have one of the largest Day of the Dead or Dia de los Muertos in America. We have tours. We have, uh, we've had TV shows like Breaking Bad, Walking Dead, and American Horror Story. How fun. We have events at the cemetery. So it's, it's very creative. It's very interesting. As, as one person told me who has a loved one there, they said, you know, this place is about life. Yeah. And that's, I think, what draws people to it. So I think that sense of life, that sense of creativity, there's so many things that make it such a draw. And it's so incredibly scenic and beautiful, of course, as well. It really is. There, there really is a lot of life there. Definitely. So after you came, the tour guide, what became some of your favorite things about giving the tours? Well, one of my favorite things about giving the tour is being able to share the lives of these incredible artists with the public. Because I think as we get further and further away from the silent era, from the early sound era, a lot of these people are not going to know them as much anymore. And these people were artists. They were pioneers. They were innovators. They were really at the ground floor of creating this industry. And I think one of my biggest thrills is when people text me, call me, email me, whatever it is, and they'll say, hey, Carrie, I'm going to go home and watch Peter Lorre movies. Right. I'm going to seek out a Fairbanks film. I'm going to watch Valentino <laughs> or whatever. To me, that is why I get out of bed that is why I do what I do, because I just want their art, their work, and their stories to right. live on. And that's that's honestly what motivates me to do it. I love that. I'm a little like you. I love old movies and old Hollywood. So I recognized a lot of those older names, but there's still a lot of the silent film actors that... I had no idea who they were, so I still have some more homework to do. That's okay. And right now on uh, Facebook, there's a group called um, the Silent 
Hill Cemetery Project, and it's a group of people. They garden every weekend. They pick different silent film star graves across Los Angeles, and they clean, they garden, they take care of them, oh. and it's beautiful. I mean, they'll be working out in like a hundred degree heat. They are so dedicated, and a lot of these graves, I have never seen them look as beautiful as they look right now. They put a lot of love. A lot of hard work into that project. They are on Facebook. They're always looking for new help to help garden and keep up the graves because it's a lot of work and, of course, an ongoing project. But yeah, but yeah, I'm really, I'm very touched by what they do. The Film Cemetery Project on Facebook. That's awesome. Yeah, if you're in the Los Angeles area and a taffophile, give that a try. That's really cool. Yeah, it makes me just it makes me so happy to see those graves looking so cared for it really was beautiful um so many real flowers so what was your favorite part about the taking the tour i didn't take the tour but i just went and walked around the cemetery oh wait did you not take the tour so what happened was is i had seen i had seen a video that you had done on youtube about the cemetery probably during COVID or something where you did kind of a virtual tour with photos and stuff. Yeah, I did a lot of those, yeah. I had no idea really how to find you or, you know, if that was even an option. I just wrote down your notes of see this person, see this person. And and so we, we hit the cemetery and had my notes and I'm walking along and I hear your voice. And I was like, that sounds like the gal we were just watching the video of yesterday <laughs> and I looked up and I was like yep that's her and then I looked over and there was close up the black cat you had been talking about and he was following you around and so since I had taken notes from your notes it probably looked like I was following you around everywhere that you went but didn't want to interrupt or get in on the tour uh, okay Anyway, yeah, so that's how I knew of you. And then, incidentally, it doesn't have to be in the podcast, but just uh, I posted something about the cemetery and then someone tagged you. Okay, okay. And so then I was like, oh, yep, that's her. I'll make sure to follow her now. And that's how I got connected with you. So I was like, it's just really kind of one of those serendipitous moments where I just happened to look up a video. I don't usually look up videos to cemeteries I visit, but this time I was like, it's Hollywood, there's gotta be a few. So hopefully we will get you some more people that will wanna take your tour, cause it was long too. And it was really, you did lots of different graves and different stars. So I was wishing that I had done that, but <laughs> we'll just keep being your friend and hear more, more of the stories. Well, next time. Hit me up next time you're in town. I will for sure. So who has ended up being some of your favorite stars that you've learned about and just kind of have become some of your pet favorites? Oh, that's hard because I love all of them. Um, of course, Valentino. I've been the lady in black for Rudolph Valentino for 20 years. So every year on the anniversary of his death, I wear a black 20s gown, a black veil. I carry red roses. I put him on his grave. I love I, it. Sometimes I speak at the ceremony. Sometimes I don't. But every year they have a ceremony honoring his life. And uh, so I love Valentino. Yeah. There's so many of them I love. Again, I just 
I love these films so much. I go to the San Francisco Silent Film Festival every year that they have it, and I try to see as many of these films on giant screens with live music the way they were meant to be seen at the time, you know? Oh, how fun! Yeah, the San Francisco Silent, they fly in musicians from around the world. They have like a piano player from England, a band from Sweden. It's just, it is like the Rolls Royce of silent film going. It's incredible. Oh, that sounds so fun. I love that. Well, just tell us about a couple. Maybe come up with a few that maybe we don't know as much about. Sure. Well, I love Valentino, obviously. Love Valentino very much. I love Judy Garland. Mm-hmm. Me too. Uh, we got Judy Garland in January of 2017, and it's been really remarkable to see the reaction from the public when they see her, because I've had people on the tour walk in there and just break down crying. I've had people walk in there and start singing at the top of their lungs. <laughs> Not every star elicits that kind of strong emotional reaction. And... I, when I talk on the tour about her, I don't talk about the sad aspects right. of her life because she hated the narrative that her life was this big tragedy. Her kids hated it too. So I don't get into that. But what I do say is that no matter what difficulties Judy was going through behind the scenes, she gave everything that she had Didn't to she? entertain the world. Uh. And she lifted us out of our problems, out of our troubles, into a world of happiness. And she sort of showed us that if she can rise above these things, then we can as well. And I think there are some stars that are of their time, and there are other stars that are truly timeless. And I think Judy is truly timeless. Oh yeah, absolutely. Every time, you see anything that she was ever in, it just, she literally lights up the screen. Oh, yeah. She just was a light in her time. She's one of my favorites. So she had originally been buried in New York. Is that right? She was interred in a mausoleum at Ferncliff Cemetery in upstate New York. And the thing is, though, her fifth husband, Mickey Deans, wound up kind of making the arrangements. And the kids really didn't have a say in all of that. And then they decided as they're getting older now, they, they want to be with her someday. And there's no room there for them. So they had Judy disinterred and flown to L.A. I think Judy had such a sense of humor. I think she'd laugh. I think she'd be like, really? Uh -huh. Gone for decades and making a comeback, am I? But <laughs> Back to Hollywood. That's right. But Liza, Lorna, Joey, they're all going to be there. Grandkids will be there. And we have a cenotaph for Toto. The director of Wizard of Oz is there. A lot of Adrian, who did the costumes, is there. Harold Rossen, who shot it, is there. So I feel like it's an epic homecoming, truly. Yes. Oh, I love it. I love the Marion Davies grave just because it's right in front of the water. It's right in, in this gorgeous location. It's so picturesque. That's also a very beautiful grave. Mm -hmm. I love DeMille because that's where I met Close Up for the first time. And lounging on DeMille is kind of one of his things. Oh, so cute. Tell us about Close Up. Late 2019, I was giving a tour 
and I see this big black cat kind of running around. And then he jumps on top of Cecil B. DeMille's grave, and he runs up and down the grave. And then he just starts following me all through the cemetery. And I at that time... I didn't have the food, the treats, the whole bag of supplies for him like I do. Right. And so he just followed me everywhere. And this would go on every single week. And he lives for attention. He cannot get enough attention. And I thought, gosh, that cat's ready for his close-up. And I'm like, boom, that's his name, <laughs> close-up. Because that line, of course, on Sunset Boulevard, I'm ready for my close-up, Mr. DeMille. <laughs> it seems so perfect, you know. And yeah, in fact, if you go to Yelp, if you go to my website and click on the Yelp button and read my reviews, so many of them mention him. <laughs> and I've had even people take it recently and say, no offense, I'm here for the cat. <laughs> that's the main purpose for taking this whole tour. I'm like, that's <laughs> so, That's great. And you can't train an animal, especially a cat, to do what he does. It's pretty amazing. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I'm trying to think which grave it was that I found him on. Probably Tyrone Power. It was Tyrone Power. He likes sitting on top of that book. Yep. That's kind of one of his... He's got certain spots that I think give him the proper pedestal for being admired. <laughs> and that is one of them. And he did. He stood right there. He looked at me. He gave me the side profile. He gave me all the angles, and I was like, oh, yep, you are definitely named appropriately here, buddy. He is beautiful. He's very professional. Like, when he and I first started our relationship, I have a friend named Diana Lundine, and she's a professional pet portrait artist. And I asked her to come do a portrait of close-up and I at the cemetery, and she's like, wait a minute, wait a minute, hold on. You don't own this animal. I go, no. And she's like... He's a feral cat, and I'm supposed to do portraits of you and a feral cat together. And I said, I said, just Diana, go with it. Just, just trust me on this. This cat is, just go with, just trust me. And she goes, okay, I'll do it. I'll do it. And we get out there and we do the session. And she goes, that cat is a professional. <laughs> My gosh, he knows exactly what he's doing. And I'm like, yeah. Like he poses, he prances, he knows exactly what to do. Yeah, and he did follow you all the way around, and you had stopped over by the Cathedral Mausoleum and was sitting on the steps, and he stayed there at Tyrone Powers, and that's where um, I caught up with him and started shooting photos, and I thought, oh, any second, he is just going to jump down and run off, but nope, he posed. And... Well, he knows how beautiful <laughs> he is, and he knows he's going to be I admired think so. and fawned over. He gets it. He's really aware of it, big time. I love that a lot. I did love seeing Peter Laurie. I loved your story about that. Could you tell us his story? Sure. Uh, Peter Laurie, I'm probably going to mispronounce this, was born Ladislaw von Lohenstein. And he changed it to the more marquee-friendly Peter Lorre. And he broke through to fame on the stages of Vienna and Berlin. And in 1931, he starred for Fritz Lang in the film M, as in the letter M. 
And he played a serial killer who preys on young children. Yikes. And this is 1931. So this movie really caused a sensation when this came out. And it scared people. There's stories that if people saw Peter Laurie in the streets, they'd grab their child, scream, and start running to get away from him. (laughs) Yeah. It's it's very terrifying, this movie. And then as the Nazis rose to power, Peter Laurie very, very wisely got the heck out of there. He went on to Paris and then on to Hollywood. And he became an incredible character actor. He was with Warner Brothers for quite a long time. He worked with Humphrey Bogart, Sidney Greenstreet in movies like Casablanca. Yeah, I've the seen him. The Maltese Falcon. Yep, those he also two. worked in the Mr. Moto uh-huh. series over at Fox. He had an incredible career, and to this day, he's still considered by many as one of the great character actors of Hollywood's golden age. Yeah, really amazing. So our family really loves the Mr. Belvedere movies. Ah, Clifton Webb. Clifton Webb. (laughs) And so we had to make sure to go visit Clifton Webb. Do you know much about him? Yeah, Clifton Webb was also, he was also a character actor. He usually played like effete, smarmy, high class kind of characters. Uh, He never married and was super close to his mother, Maybell. And they are side by side at the cemetery. And he was a triple Oscar nominee, too. I don't know that people realize that, but he was. And uh, his probably his most famous performance is as Waldo Lidecker in the film noir. It's like Laura. And he was was a terrific actor. And he was also in The Razor's Edge. He was was Oscar nominated for Sitting Pretty, The Razor's Edge, and Laura. We just think Sitting Pretty is the funniest movie. (laughs) He's a wonderful actor. He really is. Yeah, he's terrific. I also read when I was studying up on Valentino that he was a dancer and he had been dance partners and then it kind of broke off with one of the dancers that Valentino ended up partnering up with. And I thought, well, that makes sense because in Sitting Pretty, he is dancing with Maureen O'Hara and she's like, Mr. Belvedere, you're such a great dancer. And he's like, yes, I am. <laughs> I'm like, he was literally a professional dancer. Well, there's a lot of actors. That's how they got started. That was kind of the background or the, the entry into show business. They sang, they danced, they did all of oh, it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, back then, almost everybody had that kind of training too, you know? That really makes sense. So... We had to make sure to see him, too. There's, of course, Burt Reynolds is there. We just unveiled his statue this past summer. Oh, really? So it's new. Yeah, he had a flat marker on the ground for a while, and then Lonnie Anderson worked with a professional sculptress, and they they designed the, the monument that you see today. Oh, that's so cool. I didn't realize that it was so new. Yeah, I got to be at the unveiling ceremony, which was really cool. That is so awesome. I'm a little bit jelly of your job. I'm not going to lie. Oh, thank you. It's not my full-time <laughs> job. I mean, I do a lot of other stuff. But right. I keep a roof over my head in Los Angeles. but. Uh... Well, true. <laughs> is there a star that you didn't know much about before you started working there that since has become, like, one of your favorites? Yeah, um... God, there's, again, there's just so many. I have so many that I love for so many different <laughs> reasons, too. So that's that's a little hard. Can you give us two? Uh, Barbara Lamar, she's technically not on the tour because the tour's already two and a half hours long. So if I added more, it would just be forever. But I knew a little bit about her. 
But the more I learned, the more you get sucked into this fascinating life. Yeah. And my friend Sherry does a one-woman show as Barbara Lamar. She spent several years and wrote the definitive Barbara Lamar biography. And every fall we do an Art Deco cemetery tour, which is different from my normal tour. It's put on by the Art Deco Society, of which I'm a member. And every person does one grave. Instead of me for two and a half hours, you have a different person at every grave. And I just talked about Valentino and the ladies in black. My friend Sherry does her one woman show as Barbara Lamar. And she just had this fascinating life, this fascinating career. She died at like 29 years old. It's frustrating, though, because very few of her films survived. There's not that many that are seeable today at all. And it's kind of frustrating to be so fascinated by someone's complex and interesting life. But then there's like a handful of films, maybe, that you can even find on her. So uh, that's kind of a, a frustrating thing. But And I've always been fascinated by the Roscoe Fatty Arbuckle case. And we have Virginia Rappé there. And I think that's a whole deep dive I could do here. But there's a really good book called Room 1219 that's been written. Right. And the thing is, Virginia was treated so horribly in the press. And she was yeah. just treated like her life didn't matter at all. She wasn't rich and famous and successful like Arbuckle. And she was kind of treated like a lot of victims, unfortunately, are treated in these situations. Yeah. Like she was an afterthought in her own case and so I feel like in telling her story I'm trying to tell people that their lives mattered as well the victims lives matter too Mm. and Virginia had a very interesting life there's a lot more to her than meets the eye and um, you know she designed hats she designed clothing she was a world traveler she was a professional model she gave an interview to a newspaper about ways women could create jobs and opportunities for themselves and this is the teens so you know she's really an interesting person ahead of the curve for sure yes so there's so many people there's just a ton of people there that the more you learn the more you're interested by it you know i had one lady a few years ago Jane Mansfield's earthly remains are not at the cemetery, but she has a memorial marker on the ground, which is called the Cenotaph. And a few years ago, I had a senior group, and one of the ladies said, I met Jane Mansfield. Can I share the story? Please. (laughs) I was like, oh my gosh, yes, the floor is yours. And she said that she used to be a school teacher in Los Angeles in the 50s and 60s at a private school Mm -hmm. where a lot of wealthy celebrity kids attended, you know. And she said that when she, anytime there was like open house or any call for parental involvement, those celebrity parents never showed up except one. And that was Jane. And she said, yeah, Jane was in my classroom asking about her kids' homework. I love it. Yeah. Jane would be like seriously you know, involved in the school, she would be going to PTA. Like, I bet every man in the whole district's like, PTA. But the thing (laughs) is that normally when you hear a story about Jane, it's something along the lines of, oh, she flashed her breast. Oh, she was drunk. You know, these wild stories. And I don't doubt that's one facet of her persona that certainly is going to sell movie tickets. Right. But you don't often hear it discussed that she was a very smart person that she was a very loving devoted mom and to me these people might be 
movie stars, bombshells, icons, sex symbols, whatever. But they are people. Yeah. At the end of the day, they're people. And to me, I felt like that story made Jane very human and very, very real. I love that story. I did too. I was so excited when that happened. That is just the coolest. I thought so too. So where do they hold? You you said that they hold concerts, indoors and outdoors. Do they have a venue? How do they do that? The outdoor concerts are held on the Fairbanks lawn, which is a large, green, beautiful lawn behind the Douglas Fairbanks. Where they hold the yoga. That's where have yoga. Yeah, got to <laughs> plug the yoga. We have yoga. If you go to HollywoodForever.com, <laughs> click on cultural events, you can see all about all of the stuff we do there like that. And yeah, so we have the Fairbanks lawn. And then we have a building called the Masonic Temple Building or the Masonic Lodge. It's this beautiful uh, vintage building right at the front entrance of the cemetery. The bottom floor is office space and where the work is done. And the upstairs part is a huge, like, loft, and that's where we have all the concerts. Oh, fun. So that's indoor concerts happen there. Yeah. All right. I saw on social media a lot about concerts. When I was there, I was like, I wonder where they hold these. I don't know where this Masonic Lodge is, but that makes sense. Well, right now, because of the pandemic, it's not... Not going so much. I mean, unless someone is planning a funeral, you really... People aren't just coming in and out of the offices. Right. And then if you buy a ticket to the concert, then that, you know what I mean? It's not just like you can just wander in on your own. That's not really going on. But some crazy things that happen on your tours. (laughs) Oh, gosh. So many. (laughs) (laughs) We'll just start somewhere. (laughs) I don't even know where to start. Jeez. There's good crazy and there's bad, scary crazy. There's a lot of different (laughs) levels of, uh, of things. So... Uh, one of the cool things was uh, one time I was doing the tour, you know, John Houston, the director's there. Uh-huh. And I'm talking about him, and I turn around, and Angelica is standing behind oh. me. <laughs> and I almost had a heart attack. I was like, uh. And I normally consider myself a very articulate person, and I right. looked at her, and I was like, uh, blah, blah, blah. I was like, I can't talk. <laughs> I'm so shocked. You're like, oh, um, Hi. I had a large group of French women take the tour, and I normally don't put um, Joe Dassin on the tour because unless the people are French or Russian, my experience is people in America don't know who he is. Okay. Well, I put him on the tour one day, and for these French ladies, because I thought, well, they're going to know, you know. Sure enough, they did, and if you ever see Wes Anderson movies, you, you'll probably have heard Joe Dassin's music. But anyway, so one of them whipped out her iPhone and started playing a Joe Dassin song and we all stood around his grave in unison and sang one of his songs. Aww. It was such a like, magical moment of like, oh, wow, that was so cool. You I know? love that. And uh, that was really beautiful. And uh, yeah, so those are some of the happier, less insane moments that uh, <laughs> you know, I've had. What was a scary one you had? This one lady showed up on the tour at night and she... I think she was on something and just started kind of behaving very strangely and in very yeah frightening fashion. And I had to kind of show her out. And uh, yeah, I'm by myself, so I, I you know what yeah. I mean. I didn't have any security guard with me or anything. So I, so this couple on the tour was very sweet. They're like, "We'll, we'll walk with you, Carrie." And I was like, "Oh, thank you." <laughs> so, <laughs> I don't know what what was going on there, right? But, Something um, was going on. Or I just I just try to make sure people behave with respect because. You'd be surprised how many people, sometimes I think they just think, oh, it's like goth Disneyland. Right. I had a girl ask me recently, she goes, wait a minute, wait a minute, they bury people here? Oh. (laughs) 
And I just looked at her and I said, well, that's the, the main point of what goes on here. This yes. is a cemetery. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I just think sometimes people lose sight of that occasionally. But um, I just try to make sure people behave with respect. Because you'd, you'd be surprised at sometimes when people would point at a person grieving or blurt out something inappropriate. Oh, or, yeah. Like I kind of have a little talk at the beginning of the tour just saying, look, this is the number one thing we do is we honor the dad and we bury people in you've got to respect that so if we walk around and we see a funeral we see something you've got to be very mindful respectful quiet and we have to be discreet and just get out of the way trying to make sure people understand that you know and abide by that so yeah on your very worst day ever you don't want to see a bunch of people snapping pictures of you or around you or being loud and wow look here's so-and-so's grave yeah, I try to make sure. And overall, I'm pretty lucky. Overall, people are pretty well behaved for the most part. You know, so thank goodness. But right. Every once in a while, you'll just get some, you know, situation. What are some of your favorite Hollywood movies? What's your top couple movies that you love? Oh, gosh. That's, these are all so hard. It's always so hard. To, it's like a parent asking you know, what kid's your favorite kid? It's like, God, that depends. I, I, I can't. It's very hard to do. Right, um, right. They're all my favorite. I love them all, and for so many reasons. Oh, God. Uh, Sunset Boulevard is one of my favorites. I've seen that so many times. The Big Parade is one of my top five films of all time favorites. It's um, it's a love story. It's a silent film. I don't know if you've seen it. but I haven't. It's about an American soldier who falls in love with a French girl while he's serving in World War One, And two of the stars Aww. from the movie are at Hollywood Forever. The female lead, Renee Adderay, and the second male lead, uh, Carl Dane. But anyway, it's a beautiful, wow. beautiful movie. And the first time I saw it, I saw it with a live orchestra at the Motion Picture Academy in 2005 for its anniversary oh, that year. Wow. And I just could not stop crying and I couldn't stop thinking about the movie. Oh, and yeah. I'm very lucky I've gotten to see it several times on the big screen and now it's come out on DVD. So I I don't just love that movie. I cherish that movie, which is kind of different. I'm going to go get that now, Carrie. I got to get that movie. Gosh, it's so hard to just name one, but I know, I know. There's just so many films that are special to me, that are meaningful to me. I love Sunrise. I've done me now. Sunrise, uh, Janet Gaynor's at the cemetery. Yeah, I love Show People, uh, Mary Davy. There's just there's so many, so so many. You know, it's funny because sometimes on the tour I'll get people that they've never seen a classic movie before, especially younger people. Yeah, and I always tell them, I say, keep an open mind. And if you're willing to keep an open mind, yeah. a world of magic is just waiting on you. And if you go to cemeterytour.com, click on reading or click on viewing. And I tried to pick like one, what I would consider to be signature film of a lot of the stars on the tour there. So if you just want like a jumping off point, here's one for you. Oh yeah, that's great. Yeah. Oh, and Nightmare Alley, the original Nightmare Alley, was Tyrone Power. That's a fantastic film. Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse with Valentino. I think that's his best film. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's some incredible people at the cemetery who made some just incredible artistic contributions, you know, to the world. Right. It's just amazing. It's an amazing place. And the list is so long of notable people. Oh, yeah. Like we said, a lot of them that 
or before our parents were even born, you know, so it takes a little bit of research, but I'm really loving doing that. And I, I'm sure I'll come back lots of times to stories of those that are in Hollywood forever because it's been so much fun. Yeah, that place is just, it's endlessly fascinating. It's just really awesome that you get to work there. So I noticed on your social media that you collect vintage clothing. I do, yeah. That's so fun. How did that come about? Well, my mom and dad, we lived in a house from 1940 when I was a little girl, and my parents were always working on it and doing stuff with it. Yeah. And they were always going to historic places on our vacations. So I grew up with this tremendous passion for the past, for history, and that aesthetic as well. Mm-hmm. And when I first moved to Hollywood, it was the year 2000. So the 90s swing craze was still very much in force at that time. And the big thing was Sunday nights to go uh-huh. to the Derby in Los Feliz and go swing dancing. And so I thought, well, I, I want to go. <laughs> I, I want to get in on this craze. So I thought, well, I'm going to need some proper clothing. Yeah. So I went to a thrift store and I found this beautiful 1940s, probably late 40s, early 50s, uh, navy blue chiffon dress. And I put it on, and the first time I ever saw myself in a vintage gown, I would almost analogize it to the first time, like, Peter Parker realizes he can become Spider-Man. <laughs> like, I looked in the mirror, and I've always kind of struggled with self-esteem issues. And I looked in the mirror, and I thought, oh, my God, this is who I am. Like, I feel pretty. I feel right. Like, I feel so different. I'm beautiful. And so that kind of got the ball rolling. And yeah. It's a process, you know, to learn kind of what's what these styles are and how you can find them. It's not cheap, but if you know where to look, you know what you're looking for, you know, it's something you kind mm-hmm. of hone. And then, of yeah. course, people give you stuff here and there. And it's just fun. I, I've always loved fashion since I was a kid. And again, <laughs> it's it's kind of same thing with the graves in terms of it's kind of storytelling. And sometimes when I wear these things, I think about the people that wore them before me and the people that some of my gowns are like 90, 100 years old. So I think, wow, this dress has seen a lot of things. It has had a lot of lives in it. And uh, it's kind of much like the headstones. These clothes have a story, too. And so I don't I used to do it 24 seven, the vintage thing. But after being at a car wash in a 20 chiffon dress one day, I thought, you know, this isn't practical because so, <laughs> a lot of this stuff is very fragile. And there's only so many times you can trot it out before it falls apart. Yeah. And it's just not responsible. So what I do now, I have a lot of vintage reproduction or vintage inspired kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And I'll yeah. do that for day to day life. And then like when I have a really nice event or something, I'll wear that stuff. But mm-hmm. like gone are the days where I could do a 10 to 12 hour day in a 20s dress. That just is not going to last. It's going to shatter and fall apart. So That is just so cool. I just have always loved that era i love the clothing the hairstyles the shoes i am right there with you it's so classy back in those days yeah definitely i I like that we're just so casual now yeah (laughs) it's true it's true well back in old hollywood if you were a star especially you wouldn't think of leaving the house no makeup and jeans and t-shirt that would not be yeah exactly you left the house you had to look like a million dollars period so I kind of like that sense of like you got to look your best and 
That's, that's fun. Yeah, well, I was a teenager in the 80s. You wouldn't go take the trash out to the street and some of the things the kids go to school in nowadays. <laughs> <laughs> Even in that amount of time, you know. Also, you have a really fun show that you do on Facebook Live and you have a website. Tell us about it. Well, for a long time, I collected movie star recipes, and I just did it for fun, mm -hmm. but I never really cooked because I'm always going out and doing things, and I'm never home, and I just eat pre-made meals if I was home, you know, and then uh, the pandemic happened, and I thought, hmm, I can't just <laughs> go out to restaurants whenever I want. I can't just go to a friend's house for dinner. I can't just get takeout. I mean, it, it kind of changed the whole way I live my life. And I thought, you know, I had all these cookbooks and I'd been wanting to do something with them project wise for ages. And I thought, well, mm -hmm. my original idea had been to have like, have a friend film it and have it be part cooking demo, part film history talk show and part like vintage dinner party. Oh, and I had cool. all these big ideas. Yes. But then the pandemic happened and I thought, well, I can either shelve it till the pandemic's over or... I can try to do what they did in the Great Depression. Just say, all right, times are tough. I'm going to figure out a way and do the best I can with what I have. And that's <laughs> yeah. what ultimately I went with. And a lot of times when I make this stuff, a lot of times that's the first time I've ever made it. Like, uh -huh. I don't know really what I'm doing, nor do I purport to know what I'm doing. <laughs> but um, it's fun. And I'm lucky enough to know a lot of authors and historians and collectors and experts. So it's kind of a fun way for me to spend time with friends literally around the world in other countries in America. Uh, talk about these movies, make food together. And it's it's really given me something fun to work on and look forward to in the pandemic. And I have needed that so desperately. Yeah. And it's like no matter where you live or how you vote or how you live your life, almost everybody likes food. Yeah. <laughs> and almost everybody likes movies. So it's kind of this great unifying thing that has the power to bring us together and that's that's a good thing you know so good i just thought that was a golden idea carrie you just nailed that one i just thought that is fun well i'm not the first person to do it i mean there's in fact this weekend i'm teaming with some other ladies who've been blogging about celebrity recipes a lot longer than me and we're going to kind of do a joint episode so it's i'm not the only one to do it and i'm certainly not the first one to do it i just figured doing the videos and the interviews as i cook that would kind of be my own little yeah I don't know my own little way of doing it you know I think that that's really fun so how do they find you if you want to watch uh that one is hollywoodkitchenshow.com okay awesome the last couple of years have just been so surreal yeah like when this pandemic first hit I honestly thought it'd be like a week or two. I just did not know. I know. You know? Yeah. And there was a certain point when they closed down Griffith Park and Runyon Canyon, which are two of the biggest hiking and jogging places in L.A., and people were flooding into the cemetery to jog. Uh -huh. Oh. And they can't yeah. operate, do funerals and all this stuff in a pandemic with like, you know, yeah. all this stuff going. So at one point, they shut down the cemetery for a while. And there was about a couple months, about two or three months where I couldn't go. Like, unless you had property there, you couldn't go. And even then, it was very restricted. 
And finally, I, they, they told me close-ups taken care of, all the cats are fed, watered, all ta- they're all taken care of, don't worry. So I didn't worry about that, but I finally got permission to do a private brief visit during lockdown. <laughs> Aww. And right, I got out of my car and close-up just ran toward me and Aww. I just dropped to my knees and started just sobbing. Oh Aww. my God. So, like, I just think the loneliness, the isolation, the shock, the stress, it just took such a toll. And when I saw that he still remembered me and he's still waiting there for me. Oh gosh. Aww. It was just like just... a little tender mercy. That kind of gutted me, <laughs> but those, those cats are, they have a, we have a head cat caretaker and they're spayed, neutered, vaccinated, they're taken care of. But yeah, when he ran toward me, that just, oh my gosh, that really did my heart a lot of good. <laughs> it's really amazing. The peacocks, that is just a whole nother level right there. Oh yeah. Well, the peacock is said to be a symbol of eternal life in the Buddhist religion and also a symbol of good luck. And if you might, I don't know if you noticed, but there are peacocks in the stained glass on the building next to the flower shop. And there's peacocks painted into the dome above the columbarium. So the peacock motif recurs throughout the cemetery. And there's a peacock on my dress. Oh, that's so awesome. I love that. Yeah, they were beautiful. Um, So one person wanted to know if they poop on the graves. (laughs) I believe, unfortunately, that is an issue. But when we have groundskeepers, caretakers, we've got people working to clean that up and take care of it. (laughs) I mean, if you could potty train peacocks, we would find a way. But, you know. (laughs) That's exactly what I said. They've got to just clean up after them. Oh, they're so beautiful. They are so beautiful. A lot of people just love them. And they're just gorgeous, you know. I definitely took my share of animal pictures at the cemetery and it was a different dimension to it you know usually don't have water and you usually don't have animals that was just another just fun thing that just kind of added life a guy that's a avid bird watcher took my tour recently and at the end he told me he goes i have counted 30 species of bird on this property during your tour oh wow i was like wow (laughs) i didn't even know that so (laughs) Well, there you go. That is so interesting. My favorite old movie is It's a Wonderful Life. Oh, yeah. And it's not as old as some of the the other movies that, you know, that there are out there. But I just love it so much. And we watch it every single year. And I ran over to Forest Lawn Cemetery, so I had to go visit Jimmy Stewart, and that just was like, it was so exciting, and I came home, and I told my kids, like, I went to Jimmy Stewart's grave, and it just was so neat. I don't know why it is, but it's just like, somehow you're close to them. Well, you're as close as you're gonna be. Like, you know, I didn't live to get to meet these people, but standing at their grave, that's as close as I'm gonna get to being with them. And that's also the spot where their earthly journey came to an end. So there's something very profound about that, you know. It's amazing. Um, I I co-wrote a book a few, I co-wrote a book a few years ago called Hollywood Celebrates the Holidays, and it's basically publicity photos of movie stars, the Christmas, Thanksgiving, Halloween. Oh, fun! Thing. And a few years ago, we did a book signing, and it was at the Egyptian Theater shortly before Christmas, and they were showing It's a Wonderful Life, right? 
on the big screen. Well, that night, it was pouring down rain in LA. It was cold. And I told my co-author, I go, I don't even know why we're having this signing. It's cold. It's rainy. This movie's on TV and DVD. No one's going to come out. Well, anyway, we did what we had to do. We show up at the Egyptian. It was sold out. <laughs> the theater was packed. I just, it just astounded me. I was like, that movie has so much staying power, you know? And it didn't do that well upon its initial release. But it's amazing how year after year that movie draws people in. And uh, I was just astounded at how many people showed up that night. Yeah. That is so cool. Yeah, a lot of times when they've had like Ben-Hur or Gone with the Wind, we've seen at our movie theater, the Harkins will do like a classic movie night. So we always make sure to take our family and go because it just like we've never seen Gone with the Wind on the big screen. It's just amazing. Oh, and you have Hattie Daniels there. Well, we have a cenotaph for her. Oh, that's right. Cenotaph. Yeah, it's a memorial marker, I think. Uh, when Hattie died in 1952, her final wish was to be at Hollywood Forever, then called Hollywood Memorial Park. But the owner at 1952 was racist and told her family no. Oh. And so she was disinterred and buried at Angeles Rosedale Cemetery. But when our current ownership took over... Our owner, Tyler Cassidy, reached out to Hattie's family, and they had offered to disinter Hattie from Rosedale, wow. rebury her at Hollywood Forever, all expenses paid. Oh. And the McDaniel family didn't want to do that. They didn't want to dig her up and move her, yeah. and it's understandable. Yeah. I have talked to people who say that disinterment is extremely traumatic. Yeah. It's kind of like losing that person all over again. I can only imagine. So uh, the McDaniel family said no. But they agreed on this beautiful pink memorial marker mm -hmm. right by the water. And it's a gorgeous place, and it's surrounded by flowers. And I think Hattie is in a really beautiful place, and certainly a place of honor and a place that she wanted to be. Yeah, there's a big, there's like rose bushes around. I have some pictures yeah, I'll that post. have white flowers. So beautiful, but I just love her. She is my favorite character in that movie. She's so funny. You cry when she is talking about, oh, yeah. you know, Bonnie dying and, and Brett Butler not being able to let go of her. I mean, she's just, she's such a great actress and she was a singer and... She's the soul of the movie to me. And she's the only person that will say the truth. Yeah. Like when she turns to Scarlett and said, Ashley's not asking to marry you. Right. Like she's the only person that has the guts to say that when nobody yeah. else will, you know? And she kind of sees all and knows all exactly. when no one else does. And she and Gable were actually close in real life. And he, yeah. like, they were friends. So I think that really shows, like, the scene where so too. she shows him the, the red, red petticoats and stuff. Like, that, that rapport they had was definitely the real thing, I think, you know. Well, it felt like the real thing. And, yeah, that their banter and rapport is so cute. I just, yeah. She's she's my favorite one on that movie. I'm glad that that movie got brought up. I'm really touched that they made that cenotaph for her and yeah. just how sweet that they were willing to pay for her to be moved there and try to right that wrong that is just so gross. Richly deserved. Well, we'll have to have you back on another time and talk about more fun stars if you want. <laughs> yes. It's so fun getting to know you and so many of these fun things that we love in common. So yeah, I'm so glad to talk with you and thanks for 
taking the time to do that with us today. My pleasure. What a fun interview. Drop me a line on social media or our website and let me know what you thought. And make sure to follow Carrie on social media too. I loved Hollywood Forever Cemetery and will be back soon for more adventures and more stories with the help of Carrie and Close Up and all our friends there. Until next time, this was Stones, Bones, and Shadows. photos, and more information about the cemeteries we explore and find our sources at stonesbonesandshadowspodcast.com. Also, don't forget to check us out on Facebook, like us on Instagram, follow us on Twitter, and leave us a comment. We love to hear from our listeners.